Welcome to the Math Ed Podcast. My name is Sam Otten from the University of Missouri, and today I'm very happy to be here with Jeremy Strayer, who you've actually heard on the podcast before. Jeremy's one of the contributors, but Jeremy, thanks so much for sitting here and talking about some of your work. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Jeremy is a faculty member in the Department of Mathematical Sciences at Middle Tennessee State University, and we're going to talk about some work that Jeremy has done that's going to be published very soon in the Statistics Education Research Journal. And the article there is entitled, Toward a Fuller Implementation of Active Learning. So we're going to get into some active learning issues in stats education. That's going to be a lot of fun. But before that, Jeremy, I know you've been on the podcast. You've been summarizing some things with us. Mm -hmm. But also, I don't think we've ever actually kind of put your grad school on the map yet. Mm -hmm. And I always like to do that with guests. So where did you do your uh, dissertation work and who did you work with? Sure. Yes. So uh, I did my graduate work at The Ohio State University, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is kind of a funny story, actually, when I graduated, they had a linguist as the commencement speaker who talked about how preposterous it was <laughs> that the is uh, uh, such a plays such a prominent role. It's very consistent, though. Everybody yeah. that I ever hear always uses it, and the athletes are always very sure to have the the. In that's there. right. That's right. That's <laughs> right. It's funny. Um, yeah. So uh, I did my PhD work in mathematics education at Ohio State University, and my uh, dissertation chair was Douglas Owens. And uh, I was a, a part-time student, so I was working and teaching uh, on the, in the mathematics department at Mount Vernon Nazarene University okay. while I was doing my work. So uh, that meant I, I wasn't able to spend a lot of time on, on campus, so mm -hmm. I wasn't uh, involved in what Dr. Owens was doing uh, like with his projects particularly. Yeah. So um, my dissertation came out of my work as a, as a teacher mm -hmm. at the university level, and I was teaching a lot of intro to stats classes. Oh, sure. And at that time, uh, we were using uh, Blackboard. It might not even been called Blackboard, but it was some course mm -hmm. management system. And one of the trainings for how to use that, I'll just call it Blackboard, um, they mentioned the classroom flip. Oh, really? <laughs> uh-huh. Uh -huh. And how we could use uh, that online system for you know, flipping the classroom. And mm -hmm. they meant delivering lectures outside of classrooms so that inside you could open up time for students to engage the ideas and do yeah. active learning. I can't remember if they used the yeah. phrase active learning or not hmm. in the training. And so that I thought, oh, well, this is like... This is something that sounds interesting yeah. to me. It's, I'm thinking about using it in my course. So yeah. how about I, I pull that in as my right. dissertation? Time. And that should have put you kind of on the cutting edge of at least calling it flip. Because mm -hmm. I know there was maybe inverted classrooms you know, prior when you read a textbook for your homework and then come to class. But now you know, calling it flipped learning or flipped classroom or in our project, we call it flipped instruction. Mm -hmm. um, so you've carried that forward, but you were there at probably one of the first emergences of the word flip. That's right. There were two. There were two articles that only two places that I could find uh, where at, at the same time I forget the year, but um, it was in the same year. Uh, one uh, citation called it the flip classroom, and the other called it inverted mm -hmm. inverted classroom. Yeah. And so I uh, I, I may have used both yeah. terms in my dissertation. And I remember mm -hmm. uh, in writing up subsequent work. Uh, reviewers were saying, "Hey, look, you have to choose. Or is it flipped classroom? Is it flipped learning? Is it yeah. you know? Is it this or is it that?" So, and I remember um, Sigrid Wagner was on my committee. Okay. She pushed back. She's like, "Really? Do we have to call it this inverted or flip? It's like there are student desks on the ceiling, yeah, or you that's know, why can't we, we don't call, call it something classroom. else." Yeah. Like in our team with Zandra Diarajo and stuff, we didn't want to call it flipped classroom because we feel like the classroom physical space is flipping or something. Right? And we're like, it's not. Uh, this is a little inside baseball, and we're talking flip now, but that's mm -hmm. fine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we didn't want to call it flipped learning because we're like the learning, the actual like mm -hmm. process of learning is not really changing. 
changing, especially mm -hmm. when people implement it with a lecture video and then practice problems. Mm -hmm. So we call it flipped instruction because we're just sort of like, yeah, you're changing something about how you're kind of executing your instruction, but the learning might be the same and the classroom space is not really that's changing. Right. So that, right. that was our rationale that's for it. I don't know. instructional decisions. Yeah. Uh, but I know, right. you know, I was just reviewing something recently and they called it flipped classroom. So I know mm -hmm. I'm kind of, you know, we're fighting the, maybe the momentum of people calling other things. Yeah. But, yeah. So I did my work, uh, there and then, uh, taught for a few years at, at, uh, Mount Vernon Nazarene, then kind of moved on from there. Yeah. yeah great. Well, you, you had that experience teaching intro to stats, and so we're mm -hmm. going to get into a little bit of the teaching of statistics, especially at the post-secondary level. So mm -hmm. in this article in Surge, um, Toward a Fuller Implementation of Active Learning, there's a whole team here that was working on this article, and I was wondering if you could just start by telling us how did this team get together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, so this team was already formed, actually. Uh, I think they started this project the year before, or maybe even a year and a half before, or two years before I came. So... Um, was led by uh, Ginger Rao here at MTSU and uh, with colleague Lisa Green in the math department and Scott McDaniel in the uh, College of University Studies. Also Nancy McCormick, who was in the math department, was there. Um, so that team had, had formed, and their goal was to say, okay, look, in stats education, we have all these recommendations. We've got the Gaze College Report. Mm -hmm. We need to be using active learning in our classrooms, but it's hard. It's hard for instructors maybe who've never learned themselves in active learning environments. They don't maybe have a vision for what it looks like. And or instructors that don't have like teacher training, for example. Exactly, yeah. right. And I think in particular, uh, this team at the beginning, they were thinking, oh, lots of grad students teach intro to stat courses for non-majors. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but also sometimes here, uh, we were a normal college, and so we have different types of faculty members here. So there are some folks who are full professors here who uh, have heavy teaching loads. You know, there are others who are more research active who don't as much. But we have a whole gamut of types of faculty members who are teaching intro to stats here. So I think the team was brought together to say, all right, um, let's develop some materials. Let's find some really good activities that hit on the big ideas in intro to stats that, that already exist, that have been developed that are out there in the literature, let's take those, let's develop some supporting teacher materials around them to really help these folks and support them in implementing active learning mm -hmm. in intro to stack classrooms yeah. for non-majors. Right. Yeah. And what does active learning mean like to this team? Did you kind of have a shared <laughs> understanding of what that is? Um, so uh, this was the source of a lot of conversations mm -hmm. on the team. Uh, I should add that once I came in, mm -hmm. I believe Natasha Gierschenschlager, who's the second author on this article, she was a graduate student uh, in the Math and Science Education PhD program okay. here. We both came came on at about the same time. Actually, Natasha may have beat me by, by a month or two. Uh, and she's now at Western Kentucky University oh, yeah. uh, teaching there. So we would go round and round about this sometimes. And I think even uh, the idea that active learning means people are up and physically active, oh. uh, <laughs> right? Play, which that certainly is a part of some active learning activities. And mm -hmm. one, of, one of our first modules uh, includes an activity where it's the regression on the rebound activity where you've got meter sticks and you're bouncing yeah, different yeah. types of balls mm -hmm. and uh, looking at the rebound height. Mm -hmm. um, so that's definitely people are physically active. But uh, we really honed in on a shared understanding of, okay, uh, wait, where's the activity happening? It's the activity is happening here uh, uh, in your mind. Uh, you're actively thinking about concepts 
when you're in the classroom and you're not just passively receiving so a lecture from someone. Yeah. So then our conversation started to, to steer towards, okay, well, how do we, how do we think about what that environment is? Uh, how do we conceptualize it? And so we settled on the learning ecology conceptualization of the classroom mm -hmm. and we can get into that uh, more later, but yeah. uh, that what the tenets are the tasks students solve, classroom discourse, norms of participation, uh, the tools that are used for learning and the ways that the teacher orchestrates all of these, oh, okay. um, all of these aspects in the learning process. So we kind of honed in on that and then realized that uh, it's useful for us to to focus in on the classroom discourse, the norms of participation, and the, the ways that the teacher are orchestrating those. Mm -hmm. Because we, I, with these materials, we're providing the tasks that students solve, so there's yeah. no variation between our, our classrooms. Uh, and the tools used are kind of dictated, like yeah. using calculators or whatever, so we didn't kind of get into investigating those two aspects. Yeah. But So you have this group that's really committed to trying to increase the active learning in these uh, stats courses, mm -hmm. and in the article you talk about the active learning materials that were used across the courses, and mm -hmm. then you talk about kind of how that implementation happened, and you have some kind of reflections on how it went. Mm -hmm. But first let me just have you describe the active learning materials, so give us a little insight into what kinds of tasks and what kinds of things were happening in these mm -hmm. classes. Right, so, um, so I already mentioned the regression on the rebound, yep, so yep. that's a lot about collecting data, and entering the data into calculators and, and, yeah. and then thinking about what the scatter plot means, creating the scatter plot, mm -hmm. thinking about what it means, thinking about correlation coefficient. So a lot of our of the tasks in the MT StatPile materials involve students like sharing their work on on the board, so mm -hmm. collecting some data in a small group and then and then putting the results on the board and then trying to make sense of it, look mm -hmm. for patterns, reason together, think mm -hmm. through it. Uh, there's another activity where it's a candy drop activity where you have a paper plate and uh, have like little smarty or mm -hmm. sweet tart candies or something and then you're dropping them and you have a could be a 50 50 or a 75 25 like area portioned out on the plate mm -hmm. and then you keep track of the proportion uh, so it's a way of investigating binomial uh -huh. uh, probabilities and uh, probability and the binomial distribution and so folks, again, collect data, share it on the board, and then have conversations about it. We also do uh, simulations for uh, statistical inference activity where, um, I like the helper hinderer activity, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but it involves uh, flipping a coin. Uh, okay. And then again, collecting data as a group, as a small group, then compiling it all together as a whole class sharing your results and having conversations about it. So that's okay. kind of the theme yeah, uh, yeah. in right. a lot of the activities. That and that can go to the norms, right? Like setting norms for, for how students should participate and be mm -hmm. involved. If you kind of do a similar sort of thing over and over again, students can kind of realize, oh, we're supposed to participate in these ways. We're supposed to share ideas in these ways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. Now you had the instructors, you know, carrying out these activities and trying to implement active learning. So what did you see when you then looked at and analyzed the implementations? Mm -hmm. like how did these play out and what did you notice? Right, right. So um, we uh, collected different types of data. So there were some like pre-test, post-test data where we wanted to answer the question, well, are, are students learning something? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So we definitely <laughs> wanted to collect some data about that. Make but, sure the learning part is in there. About yes, <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. But um, I was more, I, w I was always pushing us to think about the implementation like what's happening in the implementation how yeah. are the instructors orchestrating these mm -hmm. components of the learning ecology to um, to like facilitate learning what's this process look like so that's where we were constantly having conversations about how to focus our observations to say something about that mm -hmm. so uh, 
pretty early on. The, it really resonated with our group when we, when we were observing folks teach with these materials um, to focus in on the types of conversations that were happening. Mm. So how were the students conversing about the statistics? And then, so what were the student-to-student -student conversations happening? Were they rich conversations or were they, oh, what did you get for this as an answer for this problem? Yeah. Or were they asking things like, oh, okay, well, so what does the correlation coefficient mean and, and how do we know, you know? Mm -hmm. So what types of, how rich were the conversations happening between the students and then how rich were the conversations between the instructor and the students? Right. Uh, so we really uh, use that to lens of rich student-to-student -student and student-to-instructor conversations as a way to focus our observations mm -hmm. as we were taking field notes. Mm -hmm. And wanting to see statistical ideas that were being discussed, like they're really talking about one of the key learning goals of the activity or something like that. That's and correct. they're interpreting it or they're yeah, having a conversation about mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you looked at too a little bit of the what were some of the teacher actions that they took, right? And sort of how did that play into the discussion? So what were some key moments that maybe the instructor did something or chose to do something or not do something mm -hmm. and how that played out mm -hmm. a little bit mm -hmm. of that too. Right, right. So kind of what we did, at least what's described, the portion of the project that's described in this paper, we took uh, field notes uh, on 29 different uh, classroom uh, implementations with these materials. And so we looked at those field notes and categorize them according to the aspects of the learning ecology, in particular mm -hmm. focusing in on classroom discourse, norms of participation, and the teacher orchestration. And then so we started to look, we wanted to look for categories. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, Natasha and I made a big spreadsheet, right, <laughs> and, uh, and found some, and first of all, we just described, okay, from this piece of data, this is kind of a description of what we think is going on. And then yeah. we threw it to another team member mm -hmm. to look at the data and look at our, look at our memo yeah. to see, you know, look, is this, does this fit with you? Yeah. Right. Right. And then, so we had to negotiate some of those mm -hmm. and modify. Uh, and then once we had those like negotiated descriptions of what was happening, then we started to look for broader categories. And so that's where uh, we, had uh, one large category of active learning implementation that mm -hmm. was either aligned with kind of reform-oriented documents and these ideas of what a good active learning implementation would look like. Either it's a limited alignment or a full alignment. Mm -hmm. And then within that overarching category, we had these subcategories of, um, well, the subcategory of classroom interactions, yeah. which uh, had other uh, dimensions, student contributions, teacher contributions, t teacher questioning, uh, and student engagement. So the student contributions could uh, range from superficial to substantive, mm -hmm. teacher contributions from explanation to facilitation, and so on, I guess. Yeah. I, I could, and the yeah, student engagement one, I think that's kind of important to clarify. You're mm -hmm. sort of talking about the student engagement with the ideas of the lesson or of mm -hmm. the activity. So it's not like behavioral engagement or something like that. It's like, are they just moving through what they're supposed to be doing or are they taking ownership of the idea that we're developing together? That's right. That's, That's right. the type of engagement that you're looking right, at. Right, right. So with these materials, it's kind of tough because you want to provide enough structure in the materials that someone could, a teacher could pick them up and, and implement them mm -hmm. uh, in a lesson in a meaningful way, but you don't want it to be too structured so that it's a cookbook type situation, right? Yeah. So it was kind of like with the student engagement, it was, oh, are the students using these materials as if it's a cookbook uh, yeah. and we're just stepping through and filling in yeah. answers, or are they taking ownership of the ideas, like you said? Yeah. 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 So what were some of the themes that emerged when you looked at across those different you know, implementations? What, what stood out to you the most? Mm -hmm. So as we were making sense of 
uh, as we were going back and forth between the data and this, uh, these categories, properties, and dimensional ranges, we, we kind of stepped back and said, okay, what, what is, can we find like this, this big overarching idea that's explaining what's going on in these lessons? And we found that this idea of uh, mathematical authority or statistical authority in the mm-hmm. classroom uh, was had a lot of explanatory power, mm. so that there were there were many many instances where students were starting to want to take that ownership, mm-hmm. uh, and so in their small groups they would they would start to engage with the ideas, and then the teacher maybe would want to kind of move the lesson forward or something, and so the teacher would kind of take control over the like the learning space, but the students hadn't necessarily had time to complete their thoughts, so there were these little. Uh, we called them sneaky conversations. Sneaky student uh, conversations, I think, was a code. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, where the the students were really kind of pull, they wanting to take some of that authority back. Uh, like, I guess maybe it would be you could kind of think of uh, authority as a content authority mm-hmm. and uh, maybe pedagogical authority or like like what's happening in the structure of the the learning environment. So it's like mm-hmm. the students were wanting to say, "Hey, wait a minute, let me let me have some more space here. Let me carve yeah. out some time to talk." Mm. So there were lots of instances like that or um, nice moments where the the instructor would turn over mm-hmm. the uh, like kind of the the sense making authority to the students and give them an opportunity to to reflect talk to each other student would ask a question and the teacher would throw it back to the whole class to say oh okay well I don't know what do you all think yeah. uh, or during the regret one of the regression on the rebound activities students uh, were dropping different kinds of balls and so they were asking a question about does it matter and so the instructor said, oh, well, add that to your data collection because it wasn't on the sheet to say uh, which kind of ball you were using. Uh-huh. So like the teacher did a really nice job of letting them have a say and how the mm-hmm. data was collected and kind of shared that authority with them. Mm-hmm. But then as we saw, like the push and pull of giving authority, taking authority back, um, that that really had a lot of explanatory power when we were yeah. looking at how these lessons were being implemented. And so you feel like it, it rippled through some of the other dimensions as well. Mm-hmm. Like if the authority was shared or, or some leeway was given to students for authority, that that also changed the kind of student contributions that they had, or it seemed to, mm-hmm. like you have that kind of sense. Right. Or it changed the, the teacher kind of could stay in the facilitator role mm-hmm. as long as they still kind of kept pushing the authority back to the class. Right, that's right. But yeah. if they reclaimed the authority, then they started to tend toward like the explanatory role for the teacher or mm-hmm. the student contributions maybe changed. That's right. Yeah. So, if, if, yeah. And it was, uh, it's, it was palpable in the air, you know, whenever there's a, there's an authority grab, I mean, it, that sounds like horrible <laughs> a way to describe it because it wasn't about, you know, that kind of situation. But you know, yeah, once the instructor kind of would stop whatever the investigation was going, however the investigation was going so that the students were doing the sense making, then uh, if the students tried to push back, and then that was stopped again. Then it was, you could see the students revert back. So instead of the students having like substantive contributions, they just started giving superficials kind of like, oh, okay, well, what do you want me to say uh, so that we can yeah. fill in the blank and move yeah. on? Cause clearly you just want to move on. Yeah. Um, so yes, uh, that claiming or giving of authority really like changed where the folks were on these dimensional ranges for right. student and teacher contributions. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. And I know even as a teacher myself, it can be hard because if the students start to develop a really interesting idea or mm-hmm. they they like have an insight that puts them right on the doorstep of like the main learning goal that you have for mm-hmm. the lesson, 
it's pretty enticing for the teacher to be like, you've brought me right to the doorstep. Let me like bring this home for you. Like, yes. you know, you've, you've got us right here and I'm going to take the reins and I'm going to show you how cool it is what you just came up with and how it like really unlocks everything we were trying to figure out. Mm -hmm. But maybe the students could have even taken that next step. Like maybe they could have gone through the door and not just up to the doorstep. Mm -hmm. But it's really hard because, you know, as an instructor, you have some insights into the content. You maybe enjoy the content. And so you maybe get really excited when students get that close to the mm -hmm. to the key insight mm -hmm. or they have the key insight and then you want to really take it and run you know, take the baton from the students and run with it the next yeah. little part yeah. of the part of the dash yeah yeah and that's really some that's something that came out in the instructor interviews right um so uh, i think something that our instructors were struggling with and again this is the first time that i know uh that one of the instructors had ever used uh active learning and so he's really struggling with, okay, I'm, I'm the content authority and I'm the pedagogical authority, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, as the content authority, how do I draw on my content knowledge to know how to respond to students, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and so you could even hear him, I think in the paper we described, or we have some quotes where he's like puzzling through this uh, and he's thinking, oh, um, well, maybe I could anticipate what, what they're going to say and then maybe I could have like different ways of responding to them based on uh, how I think they might respond to this uh, question so that I can help them learn. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Even We had a lot of teacher support uh, materials in, in our materials, but um, it's like we had to draw the line of how, how big those teacher support materials right. were going to be. Yeah, so we didn't overwhelm them right, with everything. Right. And we felt like, man, if we give them the think through the lesson protocol, that's just going to be completely overwhelming. But you can almost in that interview see him coming to you know that part of think through lesson protocol of anticipating mm -hmm. student responses, uh, and so that was pretty neat to see mm -hmm. as the materials were able to make a space for the instructor to reflect on their own practice and think about how they could step take steps forward yeah. uh, in their implementation of active learning. Yeah, and let's talk a little bit more about the instructors and their experiences because mm -hmm. they do come through somewhat in the article here mm -hmm. and. You know, it is it is a shift for a lot of the instructors where they're giving up some control. They're literally mm -hmm. giving up some authority or ideally that's kind of the intention. Mm -hmm. And some of them are like, you know what, I'm pretty good at like, I'm pretty good at explaining these concepts or I have a lot of confidence in how I've done this for a long time. Mm -hmm. I know if like one of the teachers says like, you know, I'm actually pretty good at lecturing, which is probably true, you know, mm -hmm. like, yeah. Um, so then what was, what did you get in terms of their kind of emotional experience of trying to move towards this active learning when they're leaving behind something? that they have some mm -hmm. confidence, some mm -hmm. agency in. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, you know, I, first of all, I like really commend all of the instructors who, who agreed to participate in the study. And, you know, we learned a lot from them. And it was really neat to see them take up different practices and make sense of, the, of different teaching practices um, as they were implementing active learning. But, yeah, there were many times where we spoke and talked and it, during interviews and just in the hallways of mm -hmm. just, the instructor saying, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of at a loss. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I know that I need to respond to help the student take a step forward, but I just don't know how to. Mm -hmm. So like you said, then the only, you know, kind of the only thing left in the tank at that point when you're at a loss to is explain. to go ahead and give a, give a nice explanation, right. which is to be fair, sometimes depending on the situation, sometimes what the student needs, it's yeah. just like, how much of an explanation mm -hmm. um, and you don't want to do you don't want to do the explanation just because that's the only thing you know how to do mm. you want to do the explanation because you've decided this is the appropriate thing to do right now 
That's but right. I could have done something else. Mm-hmm. If you're just explaining because that's the only thing I could think of to do, that's not mm-hmm. always the best. Right. <laughs> and, right. And uh, the, this is an explanation for what purpose. Yeah. And that would help help them guide how uh, and make decisions about how they're explaining and mm-hmm. when they'll stop explaining. Right. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> so I wanted to ask you about you know having worked with this team and really thought carefully about active learning in the stats courses mm-hmm. uh what have the implications been for mtsu and what mm-hmm. has this group kind of done after this analysis mm-hmm. yeah yeah this has been a really neat project you know it started in uh in one or two of the team members classrooms right where we would pilot pilot some of the activities observe it as a team and then like scale up the support for it and so on scale it up so that there's four or five folks teaching with the materials. And then uh, it was like every single section of this intro to stat course was using it, the empty stat pal materials. So um, uh, we didn't just force it on everybody with no support. So we had the teacher materials, but then also the team, and I wasn't involved in this part of it, but the team created um, course communities so that everybody who was teaching with the teaching this particular course uh, came together either once or twice a week and discussed issues that they were having, uh, shared victories and um, successes, successes and struggles, I should say. Uh, and also, uh, as is often the case, actually, with these types of situations, some of the instructors realize, oh, my content knowledge isn't as strong as it as I would like for it to be mm. so that I can respond in ways that are helpful for the students. So yeah. there, I know myself when I started teaching the uh, pre-calculus with Marilyn Carlson's Pathways to Calculus Materials, sure. I was working with another faculty member here and uh, who had been teaching for years and uh, is brilliant algebraist, uh, both of us were thinking, oh my gosh, we're learning a lot of new pre-calculus, you know? <laughs> so uh, there's always that content. So there was space yeah. for folks to uh, to learn more about p-values or <laughs> other uh, intro to stats topics that are, that are important and foundational. So yeah, so that's something that's been really neat here at MTSU uh, where uh, we've seen some communities of instructors uh, form. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, the team was able to get a little bit of extra funding to work with local community colleges. And so, yeah, so uh, we have these materials that have been taught at like multiple sites uh, Mm -hmm. around Middle Tennessee. And um, so that was, we didn't do as much research in those, but it was more about the implementation of instruction. So I think there have been a couple conference presentations that those, those faculty members at at the community colleges were able to kind Mm -hmm. of come on board. And if, listeners are interested in the materials or maybe they're teaching stats class mm-hmm. or intro to stats uh, is there somebody that they should contact or what's the best route for right. them to take for that right yeah so i believe it's the link is still active mtstatpal.com uh, and scott mcdaniel kind of he's the tech guy uh he's more than that but he yeah. uh, uh on the team he kind of heads up making sure that website is, is up to speed and yeah and uh Final thing about the article, I just wanted to ask if you see like a, a broader implication for the field of stats education, mm-hmm. or maybe even beyond that. Yeah. Like what's the what's the kind of bigger idea that you're left with having done this? Yeah. So I think uh, I think for the stats ed community, just continuing to dig into uh, all of the nuanced aspects of of implementing uh, active learning. Uh, like being able to dig into the specifics more and more and more uh, in a way that's helpful for others is, I think it's really important for us to do. Uh, so I hope that like, kind of more studies in stat ed will do that. Um, or just in mm-hmm. general. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so the active learning is, 
so we move away from asking questions of, oh, here's an idea, did it work? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to move away from those types of things and really digging into the specifics of what's happening in the classroom during the implementation yeah. and what can we say about different teacher actions and, and so on that, that help facilitate yeah. active learning. Yeah. Jeremy Strayer is my guest from Middle Tennessee State University. And Jeremy, since you're very involved in the podcast, you know the question that's coming next. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> so I'm curious what you've uh, what you've thought about for this question of if you were not in math and stats education, what might you be yeah. doing instead? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You gave me two different options when we spoke a little earlier that I could have this uh, like fanciful answer mm -hmm. or a more serious answer. So yeah. I think I have both. I was actually okay. going back and forth in my mind. Sure. <laughs> so uh, my fanciful answer is that I would be a like a rhythm guitarist oh, yeah. for a band on uh -huh. tour like yeah, yeah. You, you don't have to have all the pressure of the lead guitar yep. but you can be there on tour and just kind of <laughs> hang out supporting role yeah so i would love to like i don't know like jason isbel i, I would be like uh rhythm guitars for jason isbel. and you play know. guitar right I, yeah yeah yeah, that's cool. yeah so i enjoy it uh picked it up in middle school and uh so i love playing that's cool i should have brought my guitar actually because oh. i also started playing in middle school nice. uh, piano is my main instrument but i still play guitar it's a lot of fun yeah yeah um but what's your what's your more realistic? Okay, so Not, although that could be realistic, you Nashville's know, right hey, down the road. You know, that's you right. <laughs> that's right. Music City. <laughs> uh, more seriously, like I I love to uh, think about theology, uh, uh -huh. and so I could I could envision myself being either a faculty member on, in a mm. school of theology, or even a pastor or a priest in some way, mm -hmm. kind of drawn to. Like it's interesting to me, like how traditions shape us, yeah. different traditions, and yeah. like each tradition has kind of their liturgy of their their regular rhythms, and uh, so sometimes I mean it's helpful for me to think in that way and make sense of what's happening in my own field. Like what's mm -hmm. what's our liturgy, yeah. and what um, what are the texts that really guide us, and mm. so um, I could see myself, uh, you know, having but, a career, in yeah, that kind of. A but point. a deep dive into the kind of intellectual history and stuff of the. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely the way I'm wired. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for speaking with us. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Sam. So